This special episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. At What Works, we've been using Mighty Networks for almost five years to bring small business owners together to solve challenges and level up. In the beginning, we chose Mighty Networks because it allowed us to build community on a dedicated social platform, away from the noise and toxic culture of larger social networks. But as the WhatWorks network has grown, so has Mighty Networks. Today, we're able to offer well-organized training, groups, events, and more all on one site. Mighty Networks has made it easy for us to realize our vision of creating a healthy community of business owners building stronger businesses together. What can Mighty Networks do for you? Find out by starting your free trial at MightyNetworks.com. I did not like group work as a student. I much preferred to take on a project all by myself. I wanted complete control over the vision for that project, its execution, and all of the details along the way. And when I say I preferred, what I really mean is that I still prefer to do things on my own. However, building a business has taught me that I'm not going to build what I want to build without the group work. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how small business owners are building stronger businesses without the shoulds and supposed tos. All this month, we've been exploring the possibilities for teaming up as we run our businesses. We explored hiring and managing with Podge Thomas, and I shared how I cope as an anxious, introverted, and autistic boss with Annie Schusler. We explored how we can expand the visions of our businesses to ask how they can help us take better care of each other and not just meet individual goals for success with Kate Strathman. And we explored how to guide ourselves through the process of asking for and receiving support from others with Shulamit Bear Levtov. This week, we're going to wrap things up by exploring five things that are only possible when we team up. As I mentioned, group work is not my thing. And I realized that the things I'm most passionate about pursuing and creating are things that can only be done as part of a group. I need a team to build community. I need to nurture community to transform small business ownership. I need a team to help people express themselves and their ideas with podcasts. Heck, I need a team to produce this podcast. Now, a lot has been written about the promise of solo entrepreneurship over the years. And eight years ago, I wrote about how I believed that solo entrepreneurship was a myth. Businesses aren't built in a bubble, I wrote. And the only reason it feels like we can build a business on our own is because we have so many ways of working together. Only we take those ways of working together for granted. The reason social media can work for marketing It's because we're all collaborating on the content that we put there, intentionally or not. The reason so many of us can sell to individual consumers or entrepreneurs with no middleman? We've all agreed that supporting each other is a key part of creating the world we want to live in. The reason the technology we use to run our businesses gets better and better? We're all a part of the feedback loop for driving innovation. The more we can draw out how we're all a part of an implicit collaboration, a quiet team of supporters, the more we can ease into the power of making those collaborations explicit. Entrepreneurship 
isn't group work. It's a huge opportunity to take better care of each other, an opportunity to make our little corner of the world a better place through the vehicle of business. And we just won't do that alone. Today, I have five ways we can team up to do bigger and better things. SEO consultant Meg Casebolt shares a story about teaming up to create a truly unique experience. Writer Lee Prescott offers her experience in teaming up to level up the way she serves. Renee Rubin Ross shares her story teaming up through collaboration and partnerships. Floral artist Linda Rule Flynn shares how teaming up gives her a chance to explore her creativity in new ways. And brand strategist Alice Carolina shares how she's teamed up to build a movement. We'll kick things off with Meg Casebolt, an SEO consultant and the founder of Love at First Search. One of the biggest struggles that I see small business owners make when it comes to SEO is how isolating it can be. Writing blog posts, recording podcasts, making YouTube videos, they're often solo activities. So you don't get that quick feedback that you get from social media. And also sometimes the content can take a few weeks or months to see results. So there's none of that satisfying dopamine hit of instant results that you get from other marketing tactics. So a few months ago, I came up with this idea to create SEO Summer Camp. It would be an online place where entrepreneurs can gather to create their content, to get that instant group feedback that we all crave, and to celebrate what it is that we are creating. However, a summer camp can't really be done by one person. It needs a community of people in order to be successful. So I called together a team to help turn this summer camp vision into a reality. There are three ways that I asked my friends and my colleagues and my students to be part of this event, camp counselors, cabin leaders, and affiliate partners. For the camp counselors, these are basically guest experts. I created an SEO mini course to go into SEO summer camp, but I also wanted participants to get some marketing training outside of my expertise. So I asked 15 of my friends who are marketing experts to provide short trainings on finding time to create, on content planning, making memorable videos and podcasts and blogs, creating marketing system, repurposing content, and tracking its success. I also recruited cabin leaders. I know that a huge part of success is accountability. So I reached out to students in my SEO membership and I asked them to lead small groups that we call cabins. This way, people are in groups of six to eight people and they can get personalized feedback and support from people who know my SEO system. And the last way that people participate as part of this team is as affiliates. About half of my sales from this program came from friends who love the ideas and shared it with their audience. It felt so amazing that my people could support the program, even those who weren't part of SEO Summer Camp. So I might be the director of the program, you know, have that camp director like Ugg from uh, Salute Your Shorts. But SEO Summer Camp success is totally dependent on the team of people who came together to make this vision of mine into a reality. I love how Meg enlisted the help of others to create a unique experience she couldn't have executed on her own. I know I've held back on ideas because I couldn't see how I'd build them on my own. But when we throw other people's creativity, skills, and strengths into the mix, there is no limit to what we can dream up and create together. Next up, we'll hear from Lee Prescott, who is a freelance writer specializing in corporate HR and talent acquisition. My story about teaming up starts in the fall of 2015 when I had just started a part-time contract with Glassdoor. My first assignment was to cover the live broadcast of the Glassdoor Summit. 
One speaker named Josh Burson stood out to me. At the time, I remember thinking, wow, it would be so cool to work for someone like him one day. And he worked for Deloitte. And at the time, I happened to be interviewing for a position at Deloitte in another division. It was clear to me that a job at Deloitte would not suit my lifestyle. And I was still committed to being in business for myself after having embarked on a freelance career seven years before. So I continued working with Glassdoor, and the next year they invited me to cover their summit in person. Josh Burson gave one of the keynotes, and then afterwards they interviewed him uh, for a video, and I happened to be in the room. Again, I was impressed with his clarity and his knowledge, and by then I had been referencing his reports in my writing for Glassdoor. So fast forward to 2019, I was no longer working with Glassdoor as they had changed their marketing strategy leading up to the acquisition by Recruit Holdings. But I had still kept up with Josh Burson and learned that he had retired from Deloitte and started his own academy for HR professionals. I thought there might be an opportunity there and I needed to expand my business to replace the revenue loss from Glassdoor. I was on the Josh Burson Academy email list, but I didn't have his direct email address. But I thought, well, what do I have to lose? And composed an email to send off to the info at email address. I told whoever I was writing to, and I didn't know who it was, that I had covered his research with Glassdoor, and I was passionate about his mission, and offered my services to assist with the new venture. Naturally, I included my phone number and the email signature and sent it off. Three minutes later, my phone rang. It was Josh Burson himself. <laughs> I was floored. He said he would put me in touch with his VP of marketing about potential projects. And it took about six weeks to get our project going. But then they continued to send me work. And two years later, the organization has expanded and my work has evolved as well. This partnership has benefited me in several ways. One is that I developed an engaging narrative case study style, and I've now written over three dozen of these case studies, and they're based on interviews that I conduct with executives. These are people that I would have never had access to before without having him as a gatekeeper. They work at Fortune 500 organizations or major international organization with hundreds of thousands of employees and $100 billion in revenue. And so interviewing people at this level has really helped grow my confidence. And it's grown my belief that writing could be easy because I love writing these case studies. Another way it's helped me is that Josh was already a good writer with a distinct narrative style. And so mimicking his style in the ghostwriting gave my writing more of a human voice. And the work has also exposed me to new subject matter. Where previously I'd been focused on talent acquisition, now I cover everything from corporate learning to the employee experience. But most of all, this work has really strengthened my values and my belief that I could have work that is aligned with my values. I believe that making the world of work more employee-centric is changing the world for the better and that I'm doing my part by telling these stories of organizational change. The benefit on their end is they get a good writer who's passionate about their mission and consistently delivers high quality content. It's evolved into a partnership and that feels a lot better than being just a vendor. I would say the lesson here is that you really have nothing to lose by reaching out to someone you want to team up with. Even if you think that someone might be unreachable, 
If the need is mutual, it could change your business in ways you might never have imagined. Lee's experience demonstrates how powerful a partnership can be as you look to level up your skills and your business. There are so many opportunities we can create for ourselves if we're willing to reach out and put in the time to develop a strong relationship with a partner. Similarly, Renee Rubin-Ross, founder of the Ross Collective, a firm specializing in inclusive, participatory, and strategic planning for nonprofit leaders, looks for opportunities for partnership and collaboration everywhere, and the results speak for themselves. When I started my consulting firm more than five years ago, I connected with a local consultants group and joined a mastermind for accountability. That group helped me to stay hopeful and resilient through the bumpy first steps of building my business. As my business has expanded, my networks have too. In 2018, I encountered the Alliance for Nonprofit Management, a national network of consultants and capacity builders. Attending their conference for the first time, I felt that I had found a new tribe, individuals of diverse backgrounds, who are focused on racial equity, justice, and change. Returning from the conference, I resolved to get more involved and join the board of directors, a position I continue to hold. And in the past year, I've connected with and learned from new networks. One is the Technology of Participation Facilitators, who, like me, design and lead participatory group processes. Another is the What Works Network, a network of smart, creative, and supportive small business owners. Are some of these colleagues competitors? Am I giving away secrets by talking with them? My attitude is one of abundance. The problems that we as a society are working on are too extensive for any one person or group to solve. The more that we can collaborate and strengthen each other's work, the more that we are each moving the world in the direction it needs to go. So it turns out that this caring and connecting is also financially valuable. I track every inquiry and the source of that inquiry. So much of my business has come from colleagues who have shared my name again and again, leading to many opportunities. I've noticed that these referrals have come from colleagues with complementary, not competing, services. Several are fundraising consultants who know that I do strategic planning for nonprofits, so they have sent potential strategic planning engagements my way. Others are coaches or philanthropic advisors. The commonality is that they don't do exactly what I do, so are happy to have my name when a need arises. So what can you learn from all this? Here are three tips that guide me in community building. First, I approach meeting new people with a spirit of confidence. A few years ago, I decided the question I should ask is, if I were bolder right now, what would I do? If the answer to that question is to reach out to someone, I do it. Life is too short to hold back. And 99 times out of 100, people respond warmly and feel honored to be invited to connect. Second, I know that I'm not going to connect deeply with everyone. My goal is to be present for the conversation and to see what emerges. 
and let whatever emerges be okay. That may be a strong connection, or it may be that we each learned a little bit about one another. And third, I approach these conversations with generosity. One of the questions I often ask before ending any networking conversation is, how can I help you? That question comes from the heart, from my deepest beliefs. We are each better when we bring each other up. And if there's anything the past year has taught us, we are all connected. I hope these thoughts have helped you think about the value that your network has in your life. And if you feel we'd have more to talk about, I'd love to connect. Partnership and collaboration has got to be the most underrated marketing strategy in today's new media landscape. All of the most successful business owners I know, myself included, have gotten to where they are largely through partnerships and collaborations. Whether they were explicitly referral partnerships or marketing projects, or whether it was just a natural byproduct of developing key relationships, there is no faster way to grow a business than through partnerships and collaborations. Now, of course, the upsides of teaming up aren't just financial. They can also be creative. Let's hear from Linda Rule Flynn, the second generation owner of Florally, a flower preservation and botanical collage studio. I started thinking about teaming up because I am a one woman operation with more client requests and ideas than I can ever execute on my own. I began looking to other women-owned businesses, other women artisans, to not only bring my ideas to fruition, but to fully welcome their expertise to expand on my ideas. Creating and working within a team feels creatively rich, surprising, as well as supportive. We are both working toward one goal while truly highlighting and exploring each other's skills. A deep mutual respect is formed. Today I'm sharing about three teaming up projects. These three projects would not have happened to the scale and level of excellence, creativity, and imagination if I were working solo. My first teaming venture came when a client was interested in a frame for their collage be handmade from Massachusetts grown timber. This led me to find and work with an exceptional local craftswoman and woodworker to collaborate with to create a series of custom-made picture frames. Knowing where the timber was harvested from, 10 miles from my studio, and frames crafted even closer than that pleased the client, as well as brought my business a new and thoughtful offering. Next came a client's request for a paperweight for her wife with their wedding flowers. Custom and one-of-a-kind is the cornerstone of my business, so when a client asked for a resin paperweight, I knew right away that I couldn't create one with a mold that was readily available. I knew of a multi-talented artisan in Boston who did exceptional resin work and also created her own molds. Thankfully, she was open to a collaboration. We worked together, sketches and emails flying back and forth to create a shape that is rounded, bent a little, and sits so lovingly in your hand, we dubbed it a flower stone. It is so exciting to offer clients this rare, limited edition flower stone. I feel fortunate this team has been working together for over a year with no signs of stopping. My final teaming up is a project that I am currently working on. I have been thinking of ways to expand on the idea of one bouquet equals one piece of art, and that led me to think about the idea of a gallery wall. I'm thoroughly smitten with British mysteries, where the landed gentry have salon walls full of framed artwork from floor to ceiling. Anyone else take screenshots during a movie for visual reference material? 
I wanted to see something like that for a client. I wanted to show an example that would spark ideas for future clients, and the only way to do that was to create it. I proposed to a client teaming up with her interior designer to create a gallery wall for a specific spot in the home to combine wedding photos with collages. The client shared the idea with her designer, who loved the idea and the team was born. The designer has an intimate knowledge of the home, and with the client chose the perfect spot for this gallery wall, an open hallway with a curving stairway. A gallery wall, particularly one with pressed flowers, begs for an intimate view, like a hallway. It's like reading a story in beautiful handmade frames. Within this team of three, because the client has to be part of the team, we each have a role to play. Client and designer choose the photos. Designer and I collaborate on botanical collages and frame choices. Client, designer, and I go over final layouts, choices, and collages together. My work is to create seven botanical collages in circles, squares, and rectangles that play and complement with the five chosen photographs. The designer and I get together to source vintage frames, choose backgrounds, and merge flowers with photographs. It is truly a collaborative process where we are both growing and learning. This team brings to my client a vastly different and elevated product than what we started with, not to mention far more lucrative for me and the interior designer. I am creating seven pieces of art instead of one. I'm excited to share the idea of a curated gallery wall with future clients, landed gentry or not. Working alone, as I have done for years, suits me fine for the small-scale work I'm used to. Creating large installations like this gallery wall, we're talking about 13 pieces in all that need to coordinate and create a cohesive visual story, was beyond what I could accomplish alone. This particular team has allowed one of my product and business goals to come to fruition. Showcasing this on my website and writing about it shines a light on this new service that is not offered by other flower preservation studios. I relish working alone but also love creating and having a team by my side. Searching out skills and knowledge to complement my own is a rewarding challenge. Expanding our mutual networks is an added bonus. I like the idea of multiple teams for multiple projects, working with others who have the same level of expertise and dedication I do in a complementary discipline is ideal. This is what's working for Flora Lee. Through all of these collaborations, I know I am a stronger artisan and Flora Lee is a stronger business. Similar to Meg's experience creating SEO Summer Camp, Linda recognizes that when she's collaborating with other artisans, she can create things she wouldn't be able to execute on her own. Finally, let's hear from Alice Carolina. Alice is a brand strategist as well as the founder of The Ethical Move, a movement leading the charge toward more ethical marketing. I teamed up with people because I was stuck in my own head. I had developed the beginnings of a movement and gotten as far as I could with my knowledge, like building a brand and a website, writing good copy, rallying my friends, but it just didn't move because I needed other brains. I was lacking in social media skills and what I'm now defining as movement building skills, which I didn't have. And because I work best when I'm in the company of others, I knew I had to reach out to other people. I met a few business owners who I felt a connection with, and somehow, all of a sudden, I was having regular individual meetings with five very passionate people. (laughs) But the only link was me. Uh, They wanted to meet each other. So we started meeting as a group and communicating on Slack together. 
All of a sudden, operational items started appearing because we needed more structure. We started meeting once a month regularly, and we introduced meeting minutes. And then from there, we developed a new pledge together and kicked off what we called the Heartbeat Campaign online to show folks we were still alive. With the woke wave came the need to create a very clear Jedi pillar as well within the ethical move, Jedi standing for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Because anti-oppression really is at the heart of ethical marketing, that's the whole point. And we were a very white team. <laughs> so we worked with a DEI consultant and placed a clear statement on our website, inviting those who are underrepresented and have intersectional identities. From there, luckily, the exact right people were reaching out to us or we were reaching out to them. And the importance always being that they had their own businesses and were passionate about ethical marketing. We now have a diverse core team that is moving forward with spreading the word, redefining our pledge, and building a membership community. We're calling ourselves a sisterhood because the fuzzies are important to all of us, and we're all female identifying, but our next hire will definitely have to bring a male perspective. How things have changed because of the Ethical Move team. It was all such an organic process. Because it's all volunteer run, the team has shifted and changed quite a bit. At first, the commitment they were engaging in wasn't clear, so I kept losing folks again and again, and I had to chase people, and it was just all very messy. Now we know that members of the team have to be active in our Slack, they have to be active in our Notion workspace, and they have to show up to the team meetings alongside their additional work in the roles that they chose. That makes the team happy. And on my end, I didn't realize how much I had to let the team lead. I was putting so much importance on directing things when I could just let their suggestions come to me. So next steps always came through team meetings. Team members started morphing into the positions they wanted on their own accord. SOPs were written by the person doing the job instead of us directing it. Notifications were getting overwhelming, so we created running lists, trusting that everyone would check in on those and keep moving with them. Most of all, though, I felt safe to ask for them to tell me where to lead next, and they felt safe to make suggestions, and I think that's the biggest part of it all. One of the most important shifts happened when we added a Jedi check-in to our meetings. We added a few basic questions. What have we learned? Have we expanded our bubbles? What are the barriers to join the ethical move? And more and more conversations started happening because of it. I'm now proud to say that we have created a safe space for us all to vulnerably explore these topics, knowing that we have each other's backs, which is very, very special. Those topics were so much more important than the rest of the updates, but typically they came last on the agenda because if you only meet once a month, the volume of items to talk about is massive. So we had to change our meetings. Instead of being admin updates, we are now calling them culture meetings. We discuss Jedi, ethical marketing, how we are each coping with the additional stressors of a volunteer job on the side of our thriving businesses, and our updates have moved to a Slack channel that everyone is required to check in on. I can't tell you the education I've received from our diverse team and the different approaches that they have. It is absolutely mind-blowing. And we're so much stronger for it, all of us, learning about decolonization, accessibility, self-care, and all of our different ways in which we're doing it. Now we're creating team guidelines and agreements as a micro-expression of what we want our membership community to be like, which is in itself a beautiful task and something that, again, has created this new possibility for learning. Aside from the deep understanding of humanity and community, which is everything, <laughs> the ethical move itself has also gained traction, of course. We became a business early this year because we wanted to be an economic power in our own right. 
and because really one of our members was using her involvement with the ethical move to support her studies and needed us to hire her officially. <laughs> so you can say that the team is what made the ethical move work. Without them, none of this would have happened. I would have never known that I'm a good leader, that I'm capable of leading even, but I keep hearing that I've created a happy, safe space where everyone gets to thrive and we all get to grow our purpose. The next challenge we're facing is how to get paid. The more we grow, the more time we need to spend on it, aside from all the automations and great foundations we've set up. And we keep having to deal with time zones where we are spread out over the entire globe. So I have to be at our team meeting at 6 a.m. while our person in Singapore is sacrificing her Friday night to be with us at 10 p.m. But I'm going to treat this the same way I have everything. Discovery over figuring out, letting things come to us organically, continuously checking in and putting our well-being first. I could never have learned these things through my branding business. Not at all. The ethical move is what made everything for me. We have a definite distinction. What separates us from the rest is that we're all here because we have a common purpose. We are able to build our purposes within the ethical move, and that is huge. And community is the only way to do ethical marketing. So wanting to do it on my own actually was an absolute fallacy. Alice recognized that while she might have had the original idea, the ethical move really belonged to the community of folks who craved more leadership and resources for thinking about and creating ethical marketing. The only way to make the movement a reality was to empower a team of people who were truly invested in the work. Now, my politics is all about recognizing the power of connected individuals and how we depend on each other to thrive, whether we know it or not. So while I was that kid that didn't like group work in school, I've become an adult who is always looking for the opportunity to team up. Sometimes those collaborations are small and informal. Other times they're bigger and more structured. Teaming up still isn't natural to me, but it is the best way I know how to do the things I want to do and create the kind of change I want to see in the world. What could teaming up do for you, for your business, for your customers, and even for your community? The possibilities are endless. Now, next month, we're taking a break, but not from the podcast. Our theme for the month is exploring the different ways we can incorporate rest, maintenance, and creativity into our lives and work as business owners. Check out next week's episode for a surprise I am pretty excited about. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt, And our contributor wrangler is Shannon Paris. Huge thanks to Love at First Search founder Meg Casebolt, writer Lee Prescott, Ross Collective founder Renee Rubin Ross, Flora Lee owner Linda Rule Flynn, and the Ethical Move founder Alice Carolina for contributing their stories of teaming up. <laughs>